Hi, welcome to the New Covenant Presbyterian Church Sermon Podcast, a congregation of the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, the OPC, in the San Francisco Bay Area. In Colossians chapter 3, we'll be looking at verses 5 through 11 this evening. Please give your attention now to the reading of God's holy word. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. Because of these things the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. But now you yourselves are to put off all these all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer. Oh, Father, as we continue to make our way through the book of Colossians and we come now to these very specific instructions about how we are to live, that we are not only not to give in to the heresies around us, the ways of the world, but Lord, there are particular sins that we must deal with in our lives. How we do ask that you would grant us grace. So often when we are confronted with our sins, we seek to make excuses for ourselves to justify our actions. But Lord, your word lays us bare. How we ask that you would grant us humility to see where we have erred and to, by your spirit, put to death anything which is contrary to the gospel, anything which is contrary to your kingdom. We ask, Lord, that you would do this, that you would build us up in grace for the sake of the advancement of your kingdom, and that your name might be honored in this world, for you as a holy God deserve a holy people. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, sanctification is an absolutely critical part of the Christian life. If you will remember, uh, in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, It asks, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more. And now in the confession, in the catechism, excuse me, there are two parts. We're enabled more and more to die unto sin on the one hand and then also to live unto righteousness. There's two parts to sanctification. There are the things that we must put away, that we must kill and destroy. That is what uh, theologians have called mortification. And yet, on the other hand, there are things we must do. There's not, the sanctification is not just about avoiding sin. It is also about doing positively things which are godly and which are commanded. And that's what theologians have historically called vivification. So there, in those words, they are related to the ideas of life and death, and which shows really the importance of this struggle. There are things in our lives that we must kill, that we must put to death, And there are things in our life that must mark our new life 
in Christ. And this pattern of putting some things to death and of living to other things is exactly the pattern that we see Paul going through in Colossians chapter 3. This is all related, again, with the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even as he has died and been risen from the dead, so too there are things we die to and things that we now live to. We die to sin and we live to God. Now remember in the context, the end of chapter 2 is a big hinge. There's a big turning point where we are to not follow any of the ways of the world, as the Apostle Paul has argued all the way through chapter 2. But then in chapter 3, he begins to answer the question, well, then how am I to live? What are we actually to do? And we looked at Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4 last week, and we saw that the way we are to live is out of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. That even as he himself is the heavenly man seated at the right hand of God, so we are to seek the things which are above where he is. And then verses 5 through 11 begins a more detailed look at what that actually looks like in our lives. Verses 5 through 11 deal with the things we are to put away, to put to death. And then verses 12 through 17 are a list of things that we are to do, the things that we are to put on as those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we have these two ideas, which we'll look at one this week, one next week. The things we are to put to death and the things that we are to do as a result of our life in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we'll look at this particular passage here uh, under two headings. And what we see all throughout Colossians chapter 2 and into chapter 3 is that union with Christ is always central. And I know I've said that every week, but it's it's in the text every week, so we have to to emphasize it. Uh, The reason why we do not follow the ways of the world is because we're united to the Christ who's not of the world. And that's so we do not follow the ways of the world. And even as the basis for what we do in this life, it's because we're united to the Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. And so once again, Paul gives here as the basis for the things we are not to do, union with Christ, which we'll see. Uh, actually, we'll, we're going to kind of take the passage in reverse order. So the second part of verse 9 through verse 11 is what we'll look at first. We'll give the basis for, for sanctification first, which is that we are new creations in Christ. We're united to Christ and we're new creations. That's the second part of verse 9 through verse 11. And then secondly, we'll look at what it actually looks like to put sin to death. So the basis for sanctification the second part of verse 9 through 11, and then the verses 5 through the beginning of 9, putting sin to death uh, in our lives. So again, taking the passage kind of in reverse order here, look at the way the Apostle Paul gives the basis for why and how we are to be sanctified in this life. Notice the second part of verse 9. Since you have put off the old man with his deeds, so there's the taking off, And then what becomes the basis for next week, for the later part of the passage, and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So there are two things that must be done and that have happened for all those who have been united to the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. The old man has been put away. He's he's gone. And if the old man has been put away, then you can no longer live as if you are still united to that old man. And... If you're united to the Lord Jesus Christ, the new man has been put on. This is a reality for you, and therefore you must live in accordance with this reality. If these things are true of you, then you must be sanctified. So first, what does it mean that the old man has been put off? Well, the old man is a reference to Adam. We are all in Adam 
And if we're not in the Lord Jesus Christ, then we are only in Adam. And because of that, then we are tied to our sinful nature, which we've received from him. And we are identified only with this creation, the old creation, which even now is passing away. And so this is because we've, we've been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're no longer in Adam, but rather in Christ. And so we are to put away the old man. Notice the emphasis that the Apostle Paul gives in the second part of verse 9. You are to put away the old man with his deeds. That is to say, there are certain actions, certain things that we do in our lives, which are associated with the old creation. They are associated with the world of death, and with the world of sin. And if there are certain deeds that are particularly associated with the old creation, then if you are no longer a part of that creation, then it's no longer appropriate that you do them. It's no longer appropriate that you live in accordance with the old man if the old man with his deeds is no longer a part of your life. Union with Christ means that the old man is gone and that the new man has been put on. And there are certain practices which are related to the new man that we must then put on. And so this is the old man. We put we put off Adam in order to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the new man. So we were to ask the opposite question. What does it mean to put on the new man? Well, the new man is clearly the Lord Jesus Christ himself. This is what the Apostle Paul says and what we can take to be a parallel passage at the end of Romans chapter 13, where he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which means then that our lives must continually be conformed to the image of Christ. He is the one to whom we are united, and it is his image that we are continually being uh, remade in. If you remember here, there's an allusion here to Genesis chapter 1. Remember that in the beginning, God created man in his own image. And this image was greatly marred by the fall. It wasn't completely destroyed. All the people who uh, are uh, in Adam are still part of the creation, are part of the image of God. But there was a, a kind of destruction of the image of God. This is what is remade in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's part of what it means to be a new creation. As we were made in the image of God, so now in Christ, we are remade in his image. And notice what the Apostle Paul emphasized then in, in verse 10. Put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Notice the emphasis here is even on knowledge. This would have been particularly important for the Colossians, as you remember that most of the, the heresy that they were trying to deal with had to do with knowledge. There was some sort of false knowledge that, they, uh, were, that the Colossian heretics were trying to say, you know, if you follow us, you'll have this special knowledge that nobody else has. But the way to the true knowledge of God is only in the Lord Jesus Christ. This was something that Adam and Eve had by virtue of being made in the image of God in the garden. They had a true knowledge of God, a knowledge which was lost in some way after the fall and which is remade in Christ. If you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, part of what that means then is you have been granted this knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice as well then the effects of this in verse 11. That all those who have this, this reality of being united to Christ, having put off the old man and putting having put on the new man, there is a division of every barrier. This is what's emphasized in 11. There is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. 
Now, this is not to say that it means that uh, a Jew is no longer recognized as a Jew or that a barbarian, um, you know, it was a, a kind of a vulgar term, but there was still a recognition that there were people who were a part of the mainstream Gentile world and those who were outside of it. The Scythians were considered the lowest of the low uh, in the Gentile world. And it's not to say that these distinctions now in terms of recognizing uh, ethnic differences that they go away, but it does mean that they no longer matter. That all of us now in our primary identification in life, we are first and foremost Christians. We are all in Christ and that supersedes every other connection that we have uh, in this life. We are in him. And even then for the Gentiles, the Jews had to recognize the Gentiles and the Gentiles themselves here have to recognize the Scythians as even being on the same level as they are. So these things are given as the basis for sanctification. And it's important to recognize this. You cannot make any progress in sanctification whatsoever unless you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about that. There can be no true advancement in holiness and godliness. There can be no true growth in doing works that are pleasing to God unless you are united to the Lord Jesus Christ. What is required for you to be able to be sanctified, for you to be able to live a life that's pleasing to God, is nothing short of a new creation. It's nothing short of you going from being part of the old creation with the old man to being a part of the new creation who's being remade in the image of God himself. If if it's anything short of this, there can be no true basis for sanctification, which is why it is, of course, first and foremost important that you be converted to the Lord Jesus Christ if you are not that you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. The, the Christian faith is not about getting yourself into a position where God will accept you and then believing in him. It is recognizing that unless God save you, there is nothing that you can do to please him. And this is what the Apostle Paul is speaking of. He's speaking to those who have been united to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is then the basis. So if this is true of you, Christian, if it is true that you have put off the old man and put on the new man, What does that actually look like in detail? What are the things that you are to put to death in this life? Well, that's what the Apostle Paul describes in great detail in verses 5 through 9, which we'll look at now. Now, there are two uh, particular lists. Both have uh, five terms which describe things that we are to put away. Notice as well that in the beginning of uh, verse 5, the action which we are to take against these things. He says at the beginning of verse 5, Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. Members is language of a a body, a human body. Put to death those things which correspond to the old man, which are only of the earth. Notice how intense the language is. Put these things to death. Whatever I'm about to tell you about these particular sins, there is to be no truce with them whatsoever. You are to fight these things until they die. Brothers and sisters, what is your relationship to sin? Do you sometimes seek out a truce with sin? Do you say, you know, I won't go past this particular point with sin? That is never to be the the attitude that we are to have with sin. Do you recognize that sin is your greatest enemy and it will stop at nothing until it kills you? You are in a war with sin, and unless you kill it, there can be no victory. 
There is no truce which, with which it will agree with and say, you know, at this point I will stop and no longer pursue your life. Sin will pursue you all the way until death. And the only way to achieve victory is a victory of destruction. You are to put sin to death in this life. There can be no peace at any time. This is the greatest war that you will ever uh, face. And it is, in a very real sense, a war for your soul. There can be no sin which is a lot, can be allowed to gain a foothold in your life. The moment you see it, it is to be cut off. It is to be aggressively pursued until it is destroyed. Now, this ought to be an absolute top priority for you. You have to recognize that in sanctification, there cannot be uh, just a, a half-hearted attitude towards it. If there is, you, you can't make progress in it. Sin is something that must be killed in any foothold that it takes, that you give it, it will take, and it will use it to put you to death. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says, and it goes for everything that he says in terms of the details. Whatever it is that you must, that I say is sin here, these are things that you must put to death. Now, in this first list, there is a particular emphasis on sexual sins. And in fact, each of the terms is in some way related to it. Fortification is is uh, very clearly related to sexual sin. Uh, uncleanness is as well, though um, in the English translation it might not come out as as readily. Uh, but the next two terms are actually the same way. Passion, particularly related to to sexual passion and evil desire, the same uh, as well. Covetousness is also in some ways related to uh, sexual sin, as though it's it is admittedly broader than sexual sin. Uh, covetousness often includes a desire for uh, a sexual appetite, that sort of thing. And so these things are predominantly related to sexual sins. It's the first thing that the Apostle Paul says must be put to death. Now, and these things come in pairs. The first pair, if we look at it, fornication and uncleanness, these have to do with uh, outward sexual acts uh, that are uh, sinful, things which all can recognize outwardly as being uh, sinful. The second pair has to do with inward desires, so uh, lust, that's that sort of thing, the, the sexual sinful desires of the heart. And then covetousness, as I mentioned, is related to sexual appetite, but it of course is broader, uh, reaching every area of life. It's interesting too, if you think of, if you remember the Ten Commandments, and particularly the tenth one, there is uh, even a, a dividing out of these two aspects, that there is you are not to covet your neighbor's wife, so particularly a sexual uh, desire, which is illicit, and you're also not to covet his things. These are the, the two main parts of the 10th commandment uh, that Moses gives. They, they appear to be uh, parts that we are to take, um, we are to understand these two aspects. There can be a desire for things, which is coveting, but very often there is also a particular desire for uh, sexual uh, gratification, which is illegal. And as well, this, particularly the last term, is idolatry. Now, in the text, it's not that everything here is idolatry, though it could be in some ways linked to idolatry. The main emphasis that the Apostle Paul is making is that covetousness itself is idolatry. As one commentator put it, what it craves, it worships. It's the connection. Whatever someone craves, they also worship. And what it worships, it makes its portion. To such a God there is given the first thought of the morning, the last wish of the evening, and the action of every waking hour. 
That is to say, if you are dominated by a desire for something that ought not to be yours, this becomes your God. You give to these things all of your thoughts, and eventually it consumes you. And it is idolatry. And so, so think about this, brothers and sisters. The very first thing that the Apostle Paul says, the very first specific things, the things you have to put to death, are sexual sins. Now, why would it be that the Apostle Paul would begin here? Well, remember, there are, there are some ways that the Apostle Paul himself and other places in the New Testament shows that sexual sins are in some ways worse than other sins. Remember what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, you know, every other sin that a man commits, it's outside of his body. But sexual sins is a sin against your own body. And these are the particular sins which uh, perhaps have a, a tendency more than even uh, many other sins to entangle and destroy our lives. When you get in, entangled and dominated by a sexual sin, it can absolutely ru- uh, crush and ruin your life. It, it is an entangling sort of sin which causes all kinds of problems, divisions, um, both between marriages and beyond that with the family. Uh, it just destroys people. And as well, the, another thing I think that is important to recognize is that often with these particular sins, people seek self-justifications and they seek compromises with sexual sins. They say, you know, these sorts of things are not really that bad. Uh, you know, other people in my situation would be doing the exact same thing. Uh, very often, these are the kinds of sins that we compromise with or that we're tempted to compromise with. And the Apostle Paul begins specifically with these, and he says, these must be put to death. They must be completely eradicated from your life. They must be aggressively sought out and destroyed. These are a part of the old creation, and they must be completely done away with. Now, this is uh, particularly important for us in every age. I think these kinds of sins have been used by Satan to entangle and destroy the people of God. But we have in our own day, it's no different. Uh, even particular manifestations of that, you think of the, the, the we could call it a pandemic of pornography uh, that is in our world today. We think of the ways in which this, in very many ways, starts as a uh, an inroad for Satan, which leads to much worse sins, which destroys marriages and families, and it destroys people. These are the kinds of things that must be absolutely put to death. And so if you were to ask, how? How am I to put to death, put these things to death? Well, the very first thing that you must do, there are a few things that we can say about it. The very first thing is that there must be a declaration of war against these things. There can be absolutely no truce with these things. If you're going to make any progress, it must be because you have declared war on these things. And secondly, then, practically, the methods that you use to fight against these things are spiritual. What is important more than anything else is that you are with God's people on the Lord's Day in worship, that you fast and you pray, that you're sitting yourself under the Word of God, that you're meditating on the Word of God, that you're learning it. Remember what the psalmist says in Psalm 119, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. For him, studying the Bible was the best guarantee that he would not continue in sin. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Participation in the sacraments, these are the sort of things that you must give yourself to because these are the ways that God uses. These are the things that God uses to help you to grow 
in grace. And another thing, is a third thing, is that you must recognize that God is able to, to remove these things from you. Very often with entangling sexual sins, there is a tendency for people to believe that they are so dominated by it that God is incapable of giving you progress against it. And brothers and sisters, this is simply not the case. The reality is, if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are a new creation, and the old creation does not have a hold on you. This is why the Apostle Paul begins with this basis for sanctification. These are actions of the old man. They must be put away because the old man has been put away. You are not any longer united to the old man. And fourthly, another the, the last thing that we'll say in terms of a practical thing that you can do to fight against these sins is that you must give no provision to them. This is what the Apostle Paul ends with at the end of Romans chapter 13 after he says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, then make no provision for the flesh. These things must be fled anytime there is a temptation. Part of the reason why the Lord Jesus Christ said, pray that you enter not into temptation. Pray, uh, do not lead me into temptation is because we ourselves as Christians must always flee temptation. We ought to give no opportunity to be in the, in the vicinity of temptation because we recognize that on our own, we are very weak. We cannot stand on our own. Therefore, we ask, do not lead us into temptation. If we were confident of our own strength, perhaps we could say that we ought to be, we can be, we ought to be upheld in temptation. But we as Christians must recognize the depth of our sin and the sinful nature uh, which remains, which is that if we are left to ourselves, we will not stand. And so these are the things, if we were to just look over them again, there ought to be a declaration of war against sin. We ought to be zealous in putting these things to death. Secondly, using spiritual methods. Thirdly, believing that God can destroy these sins. And then fourthly, giving no provision to the flesh. We ought, we ought to flee from these things. And then if we were to ask why, why is it important that we flee these things? Well, the Apostle Paul goes on in verse 6 to say, because of these things, the wrath of God is coming on the sons of disobedience. Brothers and sisters, do you, do you recognize that if your life is completely dominated by these things, such that you, you, there would be no way that we can say that you're a slave to righteousness, that you're rather a slave to sin, if this is true of you, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is, what's, this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. These is for these reasons that the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And he says, listen, this is the way some of you were in verse 7. Notice what he says. This is the way some of you were, but it's not who you are now. It's not who you are. There is an absolute necessity for sanctification. It's not to say that we earn our salvation, but it is to say that all of those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be marked by growth in sanctification. They, they must be because they are united to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not a sinner. He is not a sinner, and he is mightier than sin. And therefore, there must be progress. And so this is the first thing, the very first thing the Apostle Paul says, put to death all of these things. Notice then there are there is a second list that's given, uh, beginning in verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth, and then a, a sixth term which is tacked on, and do not lie to one another. Here, this list is, is much broader, uh, not speaking um, to a particular area of sin, but all kinds of sin 
which has to do with our relationships one with another, the particular sins that people of the world commit one against uh, the other. And there is a, a progression in terms of the kinds of sins. They are linked one to another. Uh, the, the sins begin with uh, sins that are internal. There are uh, uh, areas where we are giving ourselves over to anger, to uh, a, a distempered, uh, distempered passions which uh, hurt our relationships one with another. So it begins in the heart. And then the Apostle Paul works out to our mouths. Notice what is said after uh, anger and malice, and there's blasphemy, filthy language, and not lying to one another, all of which have to do uh, with the things that we say with our, the, uh, the things we speak with our mouths. And so there is uh, this general requirement of sanctification. If you were to ask, what is it that sanctification requires? It requires a renewal in thought, word, and deed. It's not just the things that you do. In the eyes of the world, if you are to be a moral person, the only thing that is required of you is that you not act out in a way that is that is bad, that other people see it, it to be evil. The outward action is the only thing that really matters. But for the Christian, the internal is what matters. It matters what is in your heart, the contents of your heart. The moment the anger comes into your heart, at that moment it's sin. And no matter what you say about justifying the, the, the evil things that you say, the moment it comes out of your mouth, it is sin. For the Christian, what is required is a holiness in thought, word, and deed. And this is because holiness must affect the entire man. Remember what the catechism question says, renewed in the whole man after the image of God. The entire man must be renewed. If you speak kindly to a person, and yet bear anger in your heart towards that person, it's sin. It's sin. If you do something nice for a person, but then speak behind their back about, about them in ways that are unkind and unloving, it's sin. For us, the, the requirement is in thought, word, and deed, we must be holy. And so when you examine yourselves, this is the, this is the criteria not just in your actions, but is your heart tainted by these things? Is your heart tainted by sin? If it is in any way, which all of us in some ways continue to have indwelling sin, then it must be the constant battle of your life until the day that you die, there is a war that you have against sin. The old man must be killed. He must be completely put away and destroyed. We are to put to death the earthly members that are, any, that are in us. If there's anything that is not worthy of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, it must be put to death. Now, it can be a difficult thing to hear a sermon like this, to hear a sermon which speaks so directly about the things you must do and which requires such uh, examination of yourself in terms of the, the things that you do, the, the, the sinful practices in our own hearts. We recognize that every Christian, until the day they die, will have remaining sin uh, in their lives. But this is also part of the great promise of the gospel. And because this is a reality, if you are in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a wonderful hope. It's not just that you've been forgiven of your sins, that you're accounted righteous in God's sight through the Lord Jesus Christ, but also this is a promise. All of those who are in the Lord Jesus Christ will make progress in sanctification. 
They will. There, there must. It can be, there can be no other outcome. And so this is even in your prayers as you seek the Lord to give you the strength to put sin to death. This is something to, to pray. Lord, even as I am one who calls upon the Lord Jesus Christ, so for his sake I, I do ask, enable me to put this sin to death. This is one of the promises of the gospel. It's something that we must claim. And so there is a fight, but it's not a fight that we have where we're fighting like those who have no hope. It's In this way, it's very similar to the war that Joshua had uh, in taking the land of Canaan. You remember that Joshua had to fight. He had to fight and go into the land and to put to death those whom were, who were under God's judgment. But he did not fight as one who was unsure of the outcome. That land had been promised to the people of God. And it was because that land was promised that he had the boldness and the courage to go into the land. Those who did not believe the promise were afraid to go in. That's why the people died in the wilderness over the course of 40 years. But those who knew the promise, they were the ones who were given the strength to fight and to overcome. They knew God will fight for me. We will win. And that is exactly the way the fight for sanctification is. This is a promise like Joshua. Go into the enemy territory and fight because we are not unsure of the outcome. We will fight and we will win for God himself is the one who fights for us. Let's pray. Father, how we do ask and pray that you would enable us by your spirit to put to death the misdeeds of the body. Lord, we ask that you would help us to do this for your own sake. For Lord, we, we, we cringe to think that the unbelievers would blaspheme your name on our account, that they would look at the unholiness of our lives and they would say they must serve an unholy God or their God must not even exist if they are to live this way. Lord, may it never be, be said of us. May the only kinds of words that can come out of the unbelievers mouth regarding us, if they are to say things like that, may it only be rightfully counted as slander that we would show the godliness of our character before all, that your name might be praised, O God. And it is for the sake of your own name that we would ask and plead with you that you would act, that the Lord Jesus Christ might have a bride who is holy, without spot or wrinkle or blemish or any such thing, having been washed with the pure water of the word. Lord, we ask these, these things for the sake of your own name. And we ask him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to find out more about our church, you can visit us at newcovopcssf.com. That's N-E-W-C-O-V-O-P-C-S-S-F.com. If you'd like to worship with us on Sunday, our service times are 10.30 a.m. and 5 o'clock p.m.